Occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this week we are going to be talking about skills in role-playing games. So, what's a skill? What is a skill? My dictionary defines it as the ability to do something well, expertise, a particular ability, such as the basic skills of cooking. What does your dictionary define padding as? Uh, I don't know, I didn't look that up. Ah. Something about cooking, no doubt. I'm hungry now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, but, but a skill in a role-playing game, um, I mean, I, I consider it to be basically a, a an opportunity for a character to show what he or she is good at, or hence, you know, and by extension uh, for the player to show what the character is good at. Uh, and and you know, more usually um, something that will introduce an element of chance in the approach to performing the task associated with that skill. And something that differentiates the characters. So one person might be good at one thing, one person's good at another thing. Yeah. And also a measure of something that can improve. So generally in role-playing games we look to improve our skills as, we, as our character um, continues to, to play in the game. Yeah, I mean that, that's not a given. There's an awful lot of role-playing games, you know, particularly modern role-playing games, where character development and character advancement isn't actually a part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly with more traditional role-playing games, it's a fairly mm. essential part. Yeah, I was going to say that that definitely would separate a lot of the indie games I've played. That those more trad games definitely tend to have longer skill lists, and more indie games generally tend to have either none or very wide generalized abilities rather than necessary skills. So if we go back to the birth of role-playing games with, with original D&D, there wasn't really a lot in the way of skills there. I mean, they, they were, you know, the thieves had abilities, uh, and if I remember correctly, you know, I'm remembering this more from uh, some of the old-school Renaissance games that have come out since, but it, you know, it tends to be a question of rolling a D6 against a, a particular ability, yeah. um, and, and only, skill, only, only thieves had these types of skills. Well, the fighter had uh, lift gates, bend bars. Oh, right, yes. I believe. Uh, and these skills tend to go hand-in-hand hand with their um, level. So as they go up levels, the skills might improve. Yes. Um, as they w- as would their, they wouldn't have a specific um, fighting skill, but their effectiveness in fighting would go up as they progress through levels. So in a way, the levels were a precursor to skills. Also, fundamentally, the focus of these games was largely combat. So, and you know, in in many cases, the skills were um, not so much an irrelevancy as as not quite as important. And in many cases, something the the GM may just you know ask for an arbitrary role about. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to do such and such. You know, make a dex roll, make a strength roll, or whatever. Um, and they are more about proactively doing things rather than, for instance, knowing a piece of information that you might encounter in. Call of Cthulhu, for example. Yeah, I, th- this this started to change. Um, you know, certainly when I think about the early games that I played, uh, the first game I remember playing that had skills and it was Traveller, uh, specifically had skills for every character. Well, when we move on to nineteen seventy-seven with AD and D, we start to see more of a range of skills. Not skills that you could pick, but, yeah. but skills that would improve. You know, specific to your character that went up level by level a broader range of skills still nothing like a, a real skill list well real real <laughs> broad skill list that we would expect yeah. nowadays in yeah. many games yeah yeah a skill list like the one in the one true game yes exactly <laughs> well i mean when i say nowadays actually by 1978 1980 we had rune quest role master games like that and, and call of cthulhu a year later with with broad lists of skills and i think that once that concept uh, once that door was kind of opened, you know, the whole gamut of, of skills was, was put into games. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the, the first game I remember is having a broad skill list in it was RuneQuest, but mm. I don't know whether that actually was the first one. I mean, did, I, I've never actually played Tunnels and Trolls. Uh, did, did that have skills in? No. Okay, well, not, not. None, none of us can remember that, so you know, if, if you've got an answer to that, and. Uh, uh, Let's play that bit out. Okay, yeah. yes. You know, that, that, it was a very quick progression from the first edition of D&D to RuneQuest mm. in retrospect. Um, uh, and then you know, that became the, the, the template for all role-playing games of that period and, and the 80s. They all, I, I don't know, maybe not all, but pretty much all mm. had no, a broad range of skills. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there were a few exceptions. Um, I, think, I, th- I think Ghostbusters didn't have long skill lists. If I remember correctly, that had traits. Oh, all right. Like possibly Prince Valiant as well, but... Um, uh, they, 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 this is me trying to remember from you know, almost thirty years ago, but it was the it was the trend very much to have have a list of skills, and I think most of us, if we're thinking about you know if we were thinking about putting a game together, you know if you don't give it much thought to an alternative, you think about a list of skills. I think that's the the, the natural tendency. Yeah, I think all the mainstream games I've played because I mean I I didn't pick up role playing until comparatively late in the day. Um, everything I started with, say White Wolf onwards, always had a skill list. So mm. I've, I've been exposed to it from the word go. Mm. Um, thinking of uh, Vampire Third Ed when I joined in, um, I had relatively what I thought was a relatively large skill list. Then I mean that was about yeah. maybe I think thirty skills in all, which when you compare it to some games is nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking Cult. My God, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the amount of skills in that game. <laughs> oh yeah. But, um, yeah, of course, though, you know, RuneQuest ended up informing, you know, Call of Cthulhu and a lot of the, uh, a lot of the core skills in, in Call of Cthulhu came out of RuneQuest and a lot didn't. <clears throat> uh, I, I, Call of Cthulhu, I think, was, was the first game that I saw that really showed me how tailoring a skill list, uh, to the particular game really kind of created, the flavour for the game, the style of play, etc. I mean, you know, the fact that you had things like spot hidden uh, mm. in there is a skill, you know, sudden uh, and library use. You know, th- those things you know really set a style of play and a tone for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, you could easily rephrase those um, skills as um, search in place of spot hidden. Uh, um, and research or something for in, in place of library use, yeah. but you take away a lot of the flavour, and it wouldn't feel so much like Call of Cthulhu anymore. I think. Yes. Yeah, like notice in unknown armies, it has just the word notice itself has its own connotation. Yeah, you know, these keywords that kind of trigger your brain to that, you know, to those experiences you've had before, aren't they? To those playing that game before. Though, though it's interesting, there was a game that that I was running the Concrete Cow over the weekend. Where um, you know, uh, Call of Cthulhu, you know, has got uh, the listen skill as well as spot hidden. Mm. So you've got skills tied in with two of your senses. There, someone was trying to pick up on something using their sense of smell, um, and yeah, you know, I, I was thinking that there, there, there isn't a smell hidden skill in Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind so, of default spot hidden, but yeah, that, that, yeah, that's what I ended up doing and just referring to it as smell hidden during the game and. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I had it pretty much as exactly same in my World War Cthulhu scenario. I asked someone to make a spot hidden roll to see if they noticed a god awful smell in the room. Yeah. 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 Yes, this was also World War Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe World War Cthulhu needs a smell skill. Yeah, talk to the designer, I'm sure he would. <laughs> <laughs> so, the big change in role playing games um, came for me in 1992 when I got over the edge. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And that was like, whoa, wait a minute. What? It's like, where yeah. are all the skills? And that was just from reading the background material, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, Over the Edge was a revolutionary game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, so, it, it, yes, it was the first game that I played that, compl- that, that I was aware of completely throwing out skill lists. Yeah, genius. Um, I, 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 well, just the simplicity of it—the fact that you know, I mean, for for those listeners who aren't aware of how over the edge was, I mean, it, it's not a new concept now, but this was revolutionary at the time. Um, it had player-defined traits, so your characters were defined by a a handful of broad traits. Yeah. So you tended to have one a core one that was your profession. Yeah. So that may be something like cat burglar or spy or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you had uh, two lesser ones. Was yeah, it? two secondary ones, which right. were slightly less effective, but and slightly and, and tended to be narrower. Yeah, in, in their in their reach. Um, so, so it could be something like exceptionally observant, or mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, or good sense yeah. of smell. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then you had a floor as well, of yes. some sort. Um, and, and that was your character. That kind of encompassed your character. So anything that you needed to do, if you could sort of say, well, it fits in with being a cat burglar, um, then you got to roll those dice that you had as a cat burglar. Uh, if, you, if it was something that required you to be able to smell really well, you got your good sense of smell. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. The, one thing that this brought to uh, the game, though, was the the idea that a lot of these things had to be negotiated between the players and the GM. Yeah, you, know, you sort of say, you know, of, of course, you know, being uh, part of a cat burglar is being able to ri- drive a getaway car afterwards, and the GM says no. <laughs> then, then you could have a little argument at the table. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've I've encountered very few players and groups that aren't mature enough to work through that. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, if all else fails, threaten violence. <laughs> I remember when we played over the edge, you didn't need to worry about threatening me with anything. I was too busy trying to find the hidden codes in the character sheet. Oh, God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, one of James Mullen's finest hours. <laughs> Subsequent to that, at the end of the 90s, um, there was a game called Puppet Land by John Tynes, uh, which was, I don't know, in my opinion, perhaps the precursor to the, the kind of indie publishing movement. Um, and uh, you all played puppets, and you had you didn't have lists of skills. You had a few. Th- you had a, a, a loose description of your um, puppet, which fell into a few different categories and a few things that it could do. Uh, since then, the the kind of indie games has gone in has covered the gamut really from from games that cover huge ranges of skills um, and branching skills uh, such as burning wheel yeah um which you know is as as, as crunchy as, as any of those kind of traditional uh, traditional games if we're going to use those traditional and indie oh, terms at, at least as crunchy yeah um and and on the other hand you've got something like sorcerer one of the you know, the games that that started off the whole indie publishing movement uh, where your characters don't really have skills, you 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 have a cover, which is something like um, your your trait, uh, your professional trait, and over the edge. But apart from that, you're actually rolling attribute rolls. Mm. Um, your your characters have a few attributes, um, and you generally roll using those. Yeah, it was the other variation I can think of that sort of develops on from both of those. Really, is how you make a skill a bad thing. Um, Hot War, Stroke, Cold City. How you can turn an ability into a positive thing and turn it into a negative thing. As I usually end up finding when I'm rolling buckets. Do you want to say a bit more about how it becomes a bad thing? One of the consequences that... So the game system works by rolling um, lots of D10s and your idea is you get more successes than than your opponent. And that if you get so many successes, you can turn abilities, traits, skills, whatever they're called. Um, You can turn them from being a positive, useful effect into a negative hindrance so that something that was previously a good thing on your sheet so I always looked at them as skills even though they're say, mm. defined as traits because they, they're used in a similar kind of fashion anyway um, that say one minute they can be good or in most cases with me when the other guy beats me up with the dice on the other side of the table they're bad yeah, so you can take you know someone's skill or you know, someone's trait of you know a strong orator uh, and and rewrite it as something like blowhard and and on a more minimalist level you've got even games like um, Troll Babe uh, where you uh, your character has one uh, one stat. Uh, to cover everything, which is the number. Your character has a number, somewhere between 1 and 10, that defines how good they are. Uh, it's a scale between 1 and 10 uh, that defines how good they are at either magic or physical stuff, or oh, you know, fighting stuff. Um, and you know, if you have it at one end of the scale, I think if it's lower, you're better at the magical stuff than you are at fighting, and vice versa. So you know, you, you, you're rolling a d10 uh, for resolution, and you you're rolling it, you know, trying to roll low if you're doing uh, combat stuff, trying to roll high if you're doing magical stuff. Ah, uh, and, also, it, so. and also, whichever one of them is worse is also your social ability. So you have one number that covers all three arenas there. 
Mm. Like, see, with, with just by calling it the number, I'm instantly thinking if I was in that game, as a, I'd be able to throw in so many prisoner references. <laughs> I'm a free gamer. You, you, you just set your number to six in there. <laughs> and the other game along those lines, of course, is three sixteen, uh, where you have uh, two skills in it. You have fighting ability and non-fighting ability. Oh, yeah. So fighting ability is everything combat related. Everything that it doesn't fall into combat is non-fighting ability. And those are the only two skills you have in the game. That's all you need, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, as as Matt touched upon earlier, uh, some games have big fuck-off lists of skills. And You you mentioned Cult in particular, where where, they're an awful... And I've seen ones which are far, far worse than that. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, I I, I seem to remember... I I could be being unfair, but I seem to remember Omnifray has got quite spectacular lists of skills in there. Uh, but yeah, I, oh gosh, I remember you know picking up various games during the eighties and nineties where it, it seemed to be almost like an arms race of how many attributes and skills you could throw in yeah. because they yeah. somehow made the game more realistic. And you know, it, it ultimately, you know, it seemed like you weren't doing your job as a game designer if you didn't differentiate skill wise between, say, bricklaying and dry stone walling. Well, it's that differentiation of skills and the granularity of skills that that. Um, in my opinion, kind of brings in the problem, really. Um, and I think that's what, what we could discuss for a moment. So, uh, you know, if we're talking about a skill such as cookery, as I, as I mentioned in the definition, well, cookery is a skill, um, but you've got pastry chefs, you've got bakers, you've got um, people who make cakes, confectioners... Uh, you know, why not split it into all those different skills? But how important is it in your game? Yeah. You see, I was thinking about when you were saying cookery, the kind of dagger thing that you <laughs> stab people with. Yeah. As combat. Cookery combat. <laughs> yes. Well, proficiency with a knife. <laughs> Sushi chef! <laughs> Sushi Gurkha. Mm. <laughs> um, There's a character concept right now. <laughs> I mean, I know people that are really good at baking, but, you know, wouldn't have a clue how to cook prepare and cook fish say yeah I, and you know if your game were all about uh, the niceties of cooking and mm. I know there is at least one game what is it I'm uh, sure there is uh, Galactic Cooking Contest or something like that there, there, there was a game published game, yeah. years Ninja ago. Burger <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh, well that's more about delivering than preparing right. the food mm-hmm. but but I mean yeah if you if you had a game where you were talking about you know say the uh, the interactions of characters in the you know, in a restaurant then you know having the differentiation between different people's skills in different arenas might actually be important <laughs> you know if, if the game was about you know mercenaries in the Congo in the 1970s then you know the you know the ability to make pastry might be completely irrelevant I don't know, I'm tempted to do a scenario now that completely proves that wrong <laughs> uh, well it also brings on something like um, melee combat or firearms uh, which can be divided and divided and divided so we can have just a uh, a skill called combat or we could have melee com- two skills one of melee combat and one of firearms combat and then you know we can keep like a, a tree diagram. We can keep subdividing and subdividing. Individual Do we go types, rifles, yeah. shotguns, and handguns? Do we go into different calibers of handguns? Yeah. Is each one of those a separate skill? Automatic, semi-automatic. Because I think yeah. I think when a, a person is an ex, is an expert in a particular field, they see a great differentiation between all those branches of skill. So as a potter, um, I know that you know. We're only going to have the skill, if indeed we have the skill at all, we'd have the skill of pottery in a game, perhaps, under art and craft, maybe. Um, but as a potter, you know, there are potters that that hand-build out of clay. There are potters that throw on the wheel. A lot of people that hand-build would not be able to even start on the, on the potter's wheel because they haven't ever learned that skill. It's a totally different skill within that craft. Mm. And people, you know, I've heard people talking about firearm skills... The difference between a shotgun and a rifle. And to an expert, there may be a big difference between those two things. But for most intents and purposes, they can be treated as interchangeable, I would argue. Well, they've been along. 
I mean, I guess part of it comes down to the design philosophy of the game. Mm. Um, if what your rules are designed to do is model reality, then granularity makes sense. If what they're designed to do is you know make a you know a, a fast abstracted game. Uh, then you know differentiating between you know uh, even different types of firearms, uh, possibly even different types of combat doesn't make any sense. Um, you know if if combat is something that comes up every now and then and isn't desperately important, then yes, a fighting skill makes sense. Uh, if if you're doing something that is all about you know the harsh realities of you know warfare and then having lots of military skills and lots of you know firearm skills might make sense. Then. I agree. I agree to an extent. The the problem comes in differentiating between the skills. So if we say that there's a base value for let's take using a shotgun and using a rifle. If we take it that there's a a base skill for each. Let's say the base skill for each is. 25%. Um, if I get to be an expert with using one, so if, I, if I've had years of experience of using a rifle and I'm an expert shot with it, then I pick up a shotgun. Do I go back to base skill with a shotgun? Am I not better than somebody who's never picked up a firearm before? And how do you put in that complexity? And this is one of the things with, with 7th Ed Call of Cthulhu. Um, so if somebody is... Um, uh, an expert, you know, with 90% in unarmed combat, so they're, they're fantastic at um, boxing and grappling and so on. Uh, if they pick up a knife, if we have knife as a separate skill, do they suddenly be, drop down to just using knife at base skill? Do they suddenly forget how to dodge, how to move their feet, how to look for gaps in, in, in their attack and so on? So there are so many transferable skills within those specialisms that those things must help one another and putting in some sort of mechanism that allows one skill to boost another becomes extremely complex, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm sure I've seen role-playing games where there are skill trees like that. Mm. Um, I'm yeah, thinking. so I have kind of points in uh, combat and that, 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 that breaks down to points in uh, firearms, which breaks down to points in shotgun yeah, and, and it, you know I can, and you can follow back down the tree. Yes, um, but again, it it is that increasing complexity um, of of, of uh, game design, really. Yeah, well, yeah, I I think with Call of Call of Cthulhu in particular, um, because it's a game that is played by such a wide range of gamers that you, you're never going to have one solution that, that satisfies everyone. So when you do have people who play it who care deeply about the combat, who care about the, the gun side of things, you know, who, who really do see the differences in, in using all these different weapons, you have other people, you know, like, I, I, can, I can see the look on Matt's face, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, don't care about combat at all. Um, who who you know who are much more about the exploration investigation of the story, um, and you know you have yeah anyone in between there, and you know if whatever set of rules that you come up with there is is not going to you know it's not going to fit everyone perfectly. Hmm. So you know yeah I I I, th- I think you know the the classic Call of Cthulhu approach and the slightly simplified version that you've you've come up with in particular, you know is is a kind of good compromise. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I were keen to kind of keep it such that there were that the, the skills were fairly broad, but there were some um, divisions. So uh, we've got the brawl skill, but we've also got a sword skill. So if it's something that you know the the, the regular beyond what a regular person just, could just pick up and expect to use without training, then then it was kind of became a specialist skill. But I, I, I think underneath all that, though, there's there's another question, which you know, there's a, an assumption there with the Call of Cthulhu uh, rules and where they've come from, that there is you know at least an attempt to support realism to some yeah, extent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, albeit a very simplified, you know, slightly abstracted form. Oh, of certainly. You know, I mean, you could make the counter argument that where you're talking about a game where there are eldritch abominations from beyond, uh, where people are, are wielding unholy magic powers and so on, then you know any attempt at realism is you know, is largely moot. But a lot of the game doesn't revolve around those things. A lot of the game revolves around, you know, going to the um, the shop and talking to the guy behind the counter 
and um, fighting off um, you know a bunch of uh, I don't know gun wielding cultists that turn up at your house or to pick an example it's it, it it's it, oh. it is mundane activity that that requires those skills no but but the, but the point i'm making is that you know by deciding that you want to take a realistic approach to doing these things then you you've got a certain necessity in the way that you approach it with game mechanics the type of skills that are involved mm. the use of skills you know if you decided you wanted to play something far more abstracted far more pulpy say or whatever then you could potentially throw nine tenths of that out mm. um but you know, the, at that stage, it would stop being realistic and it'd be very much more of a game. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing; it's just a completely different, you know, uh, set of criteria. We were talking about combat skills, Matt, but um, uh, equally, there's um, personal interaction skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we just look at the ones that, that Call of Cthulhu has had in the past. Um, still talking about kind of granularity of skills uh, in the past it's had fast talk and persuade but also debate bargain oratory yeah. um, a whole yeah. gamut of skills which all effectively do the same thing to um, for want of a better word to persuade or or to change somebody else's uh, opinion of or, 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 or actions through verbal speech mm-hmm. um the new, the new seventh ed. Um, what we came up with was a, a, a selection of skills which were less about the um, the kind of situation in which they were used, and more about the intent with which they were used. So we've got um, charm, intimidation, persuade, and, and fast, fast talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but those are about what the player. Um, does so if they're kind of threatening it's intimidation if they're nice and friendly and just trying to get around the other person that's charm um, if they're conning and lying that's fast talk um, and if they're using a rational argument then it's persuade yeah 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 yes which, which covers the basis quite nicely um, again in a more abstracted game you could just have one you know persuade oh, you could. perhaps yeah um, but but you know it, it, again that slightly goes back to the idea of the the, the skills set in the flavor of the game fast talk is a quintessential uh, call of Cthulhu skill. it is I think it's um, quite an Americanism uh, the, the term fast talk I don't think it's a term we particularly use in Britain but I think it's quite no. common in America yeah. Um, so when it was on the Call of Cthulhu character sheet, I think that was probably the first time I ever heard the term fast talk. So it became it, it totally associated with uh, Call of Cthulhu for me. Yeah, same here. It's not a term I've ever used in the I've heard used in the UK. No. Um, but if we look at bargain as a skill, it's like you could bargain, um, you know, bargain the price of something down using intimidation or using charm or using persuade. Or using fast talk, you you can, you know, any depending on your approach to, to bargaining, you could use any one of those four. Mm. Um, so it's 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 quite a different um, way of defining the skills. I think. Yeah, just thinking of some of my time during customer service roles, yeah, most of that bargaining was done using intimidate. <laughs> from your end or from their end? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, in my years doing IT support, it was definitely fast talk all the way. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and on again? Yeah. Have you tried taking the cup out of the cup holder? <laughs> so, Call of Cthulhu was probably one of the first, um, uh, one of the more popular games of its time to get away from the idea of using classes. I mean, it wasn't the first by a long shot. But it was, um, you know, D&D had very much set the mindset of classes back in the mm. 1970s. And um, you know, Call of Cthulhu with its RuneQuest roots, you know, it got away from that. But, but at the same time, then almost brought something a bit like classes back in. Yeah, a profession being an encompassing um, bracket of, of skills, really. Yeah, you had a preference over certain skills more than others. Yeah. I'm a fighter. I'm a librarian. Where's yeah. the difference? Mm-hmm. Paper cuts. <laughs> they can be vicious, I tell you. Mm. I've seen occupations used in a variety of different ways. Things like thinking of the over-the-edge example there of I'm a cat burglar, that's my profession, therefore I'm a god at anything that connects to that. But then also um, 
one that follows very much in that footstep is Heaven and Earth 3rd Edition, where you start with your occupation as your main class, in inverted commas, but then you can buy other occupations as sub like subcategories of stuff that you've also done, like former occupation, like you could be a police officer now, but you may have been a, for- a firefighter. Okay, and do those professions encompass a range of skills? Yes, lots yeah. of them. And different occupations cost differently depending on how many, how broad an ability they will give you. Yeah. Like a lawyer, for I think, or do- no, doctor, that was it, was one of the more um, expensive ones because of the sheer volume of information that that, inf- that, that occupation would have given you. Mm-hmm. Likewise, lawyer as well. Um, police officer again because of its wide ranging ability that it gave you combat law knowledge the rest there was a lot that it could physically do it didn't have a defined skill list but it gave examples of the kind of things that you could say well if you've you've been in this profession therefore you can do x y and z yeah it was interesting when I was thinking about um, skills in preparation for this episode I was thinking about the difference between uh, a doctor's skill and you know um Paramedic name name no just Nurse. name a generic generic profession that isn't a, a isn't potter. a doctor Haberdasher. a potter, um, and 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 how a doctor's skills are so much higher. What if um, you learn a potter? Let's not get into what potters do, um, but but really, a, a, a doctor takes what is it about seven years training something like well, that at least yeah, um, and then you know some professional experience to become a doctor. Is that because it's a broader range of skills? I would argue perhaps it isn't a broader range of skills. Perhaps it's just because they have to be so uh, much more proficient in those skills to actually be a doctor. I, I think it's a combination thereof. Um, you have to know a lot and be bloody good at doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, um, reading William Blake's biography, um, the 17th century printer and artist, did a seven-year apprenticeship um, as, a, as a printmaker every day of the week, um, in a in a printmaker's workshop, cleaning plates and, and etching and, and so on for seven years, you know that you're going to be pretty much a bloody expert by the end of that. Maybe just because um, his boss wanted a break. It's not like going to art school for three years. It's a very different kettle of fish. Well, less dope involved, probably. <laughs> well, I don't know some of the stuff Blake came up with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> no, there were angels in his tree. <laughs> Case and points. <laughs> thinking about the um, occupation of let's take Potter then, I was thinking about what skills, if I was a um, a, a Potter in Over the Edge or um, Heaven and Earth perhaps, what, what skills would I argue that I had? Um, as well as making pots, you might say, well, I also have to do my accounts. So there's some accountancy skill. Um, I'm, I have a bit of mechanical repair, repairing the equipment. A bit of chemistry in the in the glaze formulation, and you really have, that you have is some social skills for selling the stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, some people do, <laughs> um, and and really that that then I then thought, oh well, that's just a Call of Cthulhu profession. That is a Call of Cthulhu profession, Potter, with the the, the skills picked out of the list that accompany it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, I, I guess the difference. Um... With Call of Cthulhu, you know, and the, and the professions there compared to something like Over the Edges, for a start, you you have to perhaps specialise within that a bit more. So, you know, if you've got, you know, say, an academic profession, uh, then you've got your particular academic skills that you'll focus on. So it's not like, um, you know, you, you have... Uh, say if you're, you know, you were playing a very poppy game where you had a profession of scientist... Um, With an exclamation mark. Yes, yeah. yes, I do science. So, you know, you, you, you'd be expected to be able to do anything from kind of repair a dirigible to, you know, create explosives to... your know, time machine. Yes, mm-hmm. to, to explain why these newts suddenly have human intelligence. Yes, yeah, determine what this uh, strange poison is and, and, and all sorts of, all manner of things that you've had to use science for. It'd be very flexible. Yes. And over the edge, yes, if you... If you so it's kind of afterwards you decide what what um, or you argue for what can be encompassed by that profession. Whereas with Call of Cthulhu, it, yeah. it sets those those uh, set skills. So yeah, but then often you, you sorry Scott, but you, often with a skill in Call of Cthulhu, to take as as, a, as an example, you will argue what can be accomplished perhaps with the skill of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, I've, I've got chemistry. I want to build a bomb. An impromptu, you know, some kind of in, impromptu bomb. Well, well isn't that encompassed by chemistry? I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Someone argue demolitions. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> so it becomes I mean, a matter of debate, obviously. Yes, yeah, you, that, that's you, exactly you, the point. You, yeah, I mean, yeah. If 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 I were GM in that game, yeah, I, I'd I'd say that yeah, being able to actually prepare the explosives or create the explosives, yes, being able to make a safe bomb with them is a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get anywhere near a success, you might lose an arm or something else. Worked for Walter White. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we talked about how a skill list can define a game, um, as in Call of Cthulhu with uh, psychoanalysis, spot hidden, fast talk, library use. That When we look at that list, when we even talk about that list of skills, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about Call of Cthulhu. What about a game like World War Cthulhu, Scott? What new skills has that brought in? <laughs> Sorry to well, put you on the spot. No, no, I mean, there's a, a few which very much you know, feed into the kinds of things characters will be doing in the game. You, know, you mentioned demolitions. Demolitions is a very specific skill, but also more subtle things like tradecraft. Um, mm. So you know, all these, these you know, deep cover espionage missions have got you know, skills that actually allow you to do you know, spy-type stuff. Um, or yeah, an interesting one is military science. Uh, so you, uh, you, you, your characters have actually got a knowledge of battlefield tactics. So instead ah. of you as a player having to know all that, you can sort of say, right, you know, I, I want to work out the best way of setting up this ambush with the resources I've got. You know, make a military science role. And if we were playing traditional Call of Cthulhu, our characters could probably go in there and use their skills to do those things, but it wouldn't have the same feel to the, the game and the character sheet as actually having those terms written on. Yeah. Yeah, the, the other one that stands out for me for World War Cthulhu is command, or as I yes. termed, as I termed it at the table the other day, it's credit rating in the battlefield. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it. Well, it's, it's also you know. The, it's, it's not a skill you use on other player characters very much, but no. when you're in a position of wanting to boss a lot of NPCs around, mm-hmm. you know, being able to you know, do your whole drill commander... You know, uh, Full metal jacket sergeant. moment, yeah. yeah. Unless you're Lucy, in which case you uh, use Kick your them. command to talk nicely to them and try and urge them. To <laughs> or, or you've got 90% of command and you spend all your time lying to people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the very Sergeant Wilson. Could you please go over there? Yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yes, but but yeah. Um, certainly, as you say, I mean these these skills or what skills are available in a game say an awful lot uh, about. Well, not not just about you know setting the tone for it like you know library use does, but also about what the focus of the game is. Um, Again, you know, uh, if you've got um, a lot of combat skills in a game, then it's fair to say that combat is going to be a big part of that game. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? The Dying Earth, um, for example. If I remember correctly, there's one combat skill in that because combat's not very important. But there are about you know five or six different social skills, mm-hmm. uh, depending on because it's fundamentally all about you know social negotiation, manipulation, clever lies. And, yeah. and if you bring in fancy and quotes, yeah. yes, <laughs> well, yeah, and and yeah, that immediately tells you what the game is about. Yeah. There's one that it's more tailored towards individual one-shot stories more so than the actual game itself. Um, is unknown armies. Mm. Um, there was one game I um, played in a Gen Con that had each character had a skill because in unknown armies you can define your own skills. Um, there's this, the set example list at the top of the sheet that you have, but then everything else underneath that you can fill in is your own skill. Um, the GM in question saying had a wonderful uh, notion that each character he gave a signature skill to um, that set the tone for how that character should be portrayed. And I played a evangelical um, pastor, and his skill was talk, uh, stand, uh, basically standing up for long periods of time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes, I like that. Yeah, never got to roll it, but it was there, and it's a, it's yeah. The guy is evidently very good at what he does. That, <laughs> that very much puts me in mind of the NPCs we have in Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, well they quite often have quirky little skills. Yeah, I wish I, I should have written some genuine ones down. Um, there, there is one in World War Cthulhu that um, in the God in the Woods at the end that has something like Pope Mythos shit at ninety nine percent or something <laughs> yes. weird. Yeah, it's got, got something that came to mind. Yeah, these kind of quirky skills which. Mike and I were a little in two minds about, um, but I think we ended up leaving in. Um, but it is very much... It, it's not something that actually comes into play. It's more about a, a, a shorthand way of defining a character to the to the keeper. Um, so it might be, you know, cook lovely cakes, you know, or... Um, 
And in Horror, Horror, on, Your Exp- um, Horror on Your Express, where we had one of the NPCs in the Lucerne section that has distraction at 95%. Yeah. yeah. Drink you under the table, that tells you an awful lot about the character. Yeah. And the GM, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, you mentioned, though, uh, about unknown armies and, and you know, oh, yes. being able to define your own skills. <laughs> I mean, one thing, I, things I like there as well is that, you know, so, some of the default skills are um, fairly bland in their names, but you're actually encur- but, but you're encouraged to, you know, read, redefine them or rewrite the names of them. Yeah. So you've got something like athletics, uh, so you could redefine that as something like run the fuck away. Yeah, or open a can of whoopass. Yes. Um, and the other one I remember was firearms turned into gumbanisms. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, yeah, if, particularly if you're doing pre-gens or NPCs, that, that has a whole degree of uh, hmm. a whole degree of colour to that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be um, like firearms. Clo- open bracket only when gun held sideways. Close bracket. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, no, you just make the skill hold gun sideways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't have to pull the trigger and shoot someone. <laughs> shoot, shoot suboptimally. <laughs> well, especially if you put it as a soul skill, um, then you could end, um, you could end up being as a, as a actual social method or this thing. Intimidate fellow gang member by putting a gun in their face held sideways, or yeah. Yeah. this is a status symbol, yo. Yes. Ne- never say yo. So, Matt and Scott, uh, after our discussion of what skills are and how they feature in games, are they a good thing? They weren't in role-playing games originally. They've been introduced, and they're very much taken as the, the, the done thing. But are they something that's desirable, or is there a better alternative? Well, I for one say that it depends on context entirely. But on the whole, yes, they are good, but depending on to what extent... Um, for instance, I've got no problem with the Call of Cthulhu skill list. I think it's a, it pretty much does everything I want it to. There's there's not very many bases that it doesn't touch that I can think of. Any instance that normally comes up in that type of game, there is a skill that will fit that particular type of situation. Um, when I've run a lot of World of Darkness, though, that there are certain skills which, on their own, you could think are fairly limiting, like firearms, for example. It's picking up a gun and shooting it. But you can have a certain degree of interplay with attributes, that you can turn firearms doesn't just suddenly come pick up a gun and shoot someone. That could be like a, a dex plus firearms role. But so if, if you were repairing a firearm, it might be I don't know intelligence, yeah, firearms, um, or, or, or your knowledge to, about them, yeah, or you're trying, for instance, trying to work out what type of bullet um, bullet casing is this, that what type of guns this come from. Then it might be intelligence firearms. For so it adds nuances to the skill. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it becomes almost a bit like harking back to over the edge in that sense that you have the skill in firearms it covers quite a wide range but it has to pair up with another attribute for it to suddenly have that different effect I like that well, I, I seem to remember seeing something similar in Call of Cthulhu a while back where the firearm skill was also deemed to be the one for the maintenance of the gun as well yeah I think so Yeah, yeah. so if your gun jams or malfunctions then you use your firearm skill to unjam it or to repair it rather than mechanical repair well yeah, I mean, I would argue, yeah, if you've got... You, you could probably use either, I would say. So yeah. use whichever one is better. But I'm suddenly thinking as I go back to, um, this is my rifle, there are many others like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously know how it works. You've been told how to field strip it, you've been told how to clean it, maintain it, shoot it. Yeah, so a skill yeah. with it is, is broader than just shooting it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said, um, you made the point that the Call of Cthulhu skill list does everything you want it to. Pretty much. Um, what about when it doesn't? Then there's usually... You so you're going to break it down the door. Where's, uh, your, where's your skill? You fail 99%. <laughs> yeah, particularly if you're playing Sorcerer. Yeah, that's the example I was thinking of. <laughs> mutter, mutter. There's anyway. a story about the King in Yellow that couldn't break down the yeah, door. Yeah, well, 10 dice I've never heard one. it, and I, we're not going to hear it now, so... <laughs> So, so what are your options? <laughs> what are your options for uh, breaking down a door? In that, in that very rare moment when I don't fail, me um, given brute force and ignorance, I just I just scream and run it and bounce off. So you're using strength or or maybe size, or oh, combination of both. So, yeah. so if there isn't a, so what, what the point I'm making is if if there isn't a skill which um, is tailored towards that thing you're doing, then you can probably default to one of your characteristics yeah, so as, as a base um, would, for that. I wouldn't say you could use 
your brawl skill, for example, you're not running over and punching it. You're not running over and giving it and oh, k- kicking the balls. Well, but you could be kicking it open. Um, could you know, if, if, if your yeah. brawl skill represents the fact that you've done a lot of karate, for example, mm-hmm. you, know, you could have quite a powerful kick. And yeah, I, was just, I was just thinking the brute force and ignorance approach of run at the door, shoulder barge it, that's not necessarily a brawl attack. Yeah. It could, could even be a firearms roll of some description if you're shooting the lockout. Oh, yeah. 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 Throw another player at said door. <laughs> <laughs> or potentially it could be luck to see um, you know, if it is just a, a, a weak old door. Um, that is easily smashed but not all of them not one and then the next and then the next and then a luck roll to see if uh, if it's weak or, at or, the it end. Could, or it could be intelligence to work out the fact that the door's not locked <laughs> could be <laughs> so after, for me it would be a case of I've tried everything and it was unlocked all the time yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I think attribute roles can cover a, a great many sort of the missing skills. Mm. I, I, I suppose yeah, you know, the one potential problem with that in, in Call of Cthulhu is that your attribute roles tend to be higher than than most skill roles. So it's almost like you, you you benefit by the skill not being there. Yes, yeah. Do you have uh, the skill of philately? No, I will default to education. Then yeah. it's like okay, well I know I've got an eighty percent knowledge about stamps, um, so. Yeah, that, that has to be moderated by the by the keeper. Yeah, you uh, just put, say it's an extreme roll or a hard yeah, roll, exactly. or, or you put a difficulty on it. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, well, just accept the fact that educated people know everything that there is to know about stamps. Indeed, <laughs> everything you need to know, anyway. <laughs> well, like which side to lick. <laughs> When did you last buy a stamp door? And when did you lick it? <laughs> that was about ten years ago. They're all sticky back now. Oh, they're all they? peel off. Yeah. What do you mean? Are they? Well, I normally just hand it over. People lick. I, I just hand it over at the post office, and they do it for me. You, you have people to lick things for you. <laughs> yeah, I give them. Like, they do it. I put my own stamps on. I don't have servants. All right. <laughs> I, I just enjoyed licking things. Yeah, it's mine. Carry on. <laughs> So, so <laughs> creep people out still ninety five percent. That one doesn't come out of the box all that often. So. You're not making it any better. <laughs> Let's bring all this back to Call of Cthulhu then. So, with all the random bollocks that we've talked for the last forty minutes or so, what 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 does this tell us about the role of skills in Call of Cthulhu? The role of skills in Call of Cthulhu. Um, I think they define the game. Uh, the names of the skills give a lot of flavour to the game and to some degree guide what kind of things you do in the game. So there's library use on the sheet, so you go to libraries. Um, there's you know there's fast talk on the sheet, so you con people. I mean, it's not that you wouldn't do those things anyway, but it kind of it, it directs you towards doing those things. Yeah, they encapsulate what characters within Lovecraft stories do and therefore they reflect the medium of the context of which they're based upon. Hmm. So hence why, for instance, if I write a Lovecraft story, going back to my point earlier, that when I write a Cthulhu game, there is a skill for every eventuality, it's because that it's mirroring the source material. Yes. The, the nods don't come out too well on the, um, on the yeah, audio, but everyone is nodding that, at this point. That, yeah. that's, that's why I suddenly remember to articulate <laughs> it as a yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about skills in general in role-playing games? Depends on the game. Yeah. I, I, I've played games that have no skills in them and enjoyed them. I've played games that have you know, fairly chunky skill lists and enjoyed them. I mean, on the whole, I, 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 I think I'm probably fairly atypical in that if I pick up a new role-playing game now and I flick through it and I find there's a chapter, you know, a huge chapter with long skill lists in it, I will quite often put it you know, straight back down. Um, for you know, basically, beca- not so much because I find the idea of long, detailed skill lists repellent, though you know I, I do slightly. Um, I, I prefer them to be succinct and focused. Um, but because you know, it generally tells me a lot about the type of game it is and where the focus is going to lie. If if um, you know, if the game designer is that interested in breaking down you know, their, their world into that many different skills, that shows a, a, an approach to realism in the game that I will probably find unfun. So it's more about simulating the real world than it is about making drama? Yes. Right. 
I'm not opposed to the idea of, of skills and games. I've, I have a lot of fun in Call of Cthulhu with the uh, with the skills there. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I find you know, Call of Cthulhu is kind of pressing very much up against the edge of what I enjoy in, in realism in games. Mm. You know, you, if, if you go kind of a few stages onward to things like Millennium's End, uh, where there are you know, long, detailed skill lists, um, you know, a, a very realism-focused combat system and stuff like that. I've played that a few times and I find it just sucks all the joy out of my play. Mm. Is that the mechanics of the game, though? Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the Call is. of Cthulhu at its heart is a percentage system and you kind of roll under the percentage, so it's yeah. reasonably straightforward in terms of how you apply those skills, whereas some systems have a long list of skills and then very kind of complex mechanics on what you do with those skills. It's, it's a combination of those things, but yeah, it's it's a combination of the fact that yeah, um, I, I don't necessarily want to sit down there and make lots and lots of dice rolls, you know, in the course of a combat to determine armor penetration and hit locations and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. But but it's also the fact that it's you know it, it is something of um, a shibboleth um, that you know it, it, it tells me about about the game in general uh, and like I say what the design philosophies are. Hmm. Not as bad as Living Steel. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. God help me, I've run Living Steel. <laughs> okay, well, we'll wrap things up there, as I think we've said as much as you know, useful stuff as we can say on the subject, and probably considerably more. Um, so there's nothing else to do at this stage but remind you about all our social media presence, which we haven't done for the last couple of episodes because we're shit. Um, so you can find us on uh, Facebook as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Google Plus as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Uh, you can find us on YouTube as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. And you can find us on Twitter as the Good Friends of JE. Because Twitter has to be the odd one out every fucking time. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we have our own website, which you may have seen, you may not have. Uh, but it's got lots of stuff like this and other stuff and... Lots of good film reviews that you've written, Scott. Oh, yeah. That's lots true. of them. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, so we welcome your comments on, on there. We get a few comments about episodes and mm-hmm. uh, it's always good to hear from people on any of those forums. Yeah. yeah. I normally plug up all the convention reviews of the different events I go to. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And your immense list of Kickstarter uh, purchases. Oh, yes. That, that list yeah. has grown significantly since then. I should do an update part two. We should do a whole episode about your your um, Kickstarter um, backings. Just uh, one. <laughs> so you, you can find all that stuff on blasphemoustomes.com. So with that, goodbye from me. And cheerio from me. And farewell from me. Second half.